This is Coast to Coast. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Corey Johnson. We're here every day bringing the latest news in the world of business and finance. And the most interesting stories in global technology from Silicon Valley and beyond, powered by our more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Coast to Coast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 o'clock Eastern only on Bloomberg Radio. Whenever I see your smiling face, I have to smile myself because I love you. We could tell stories about my affection for Sarah Fryer. She joins us right now with a look at what's going on in the world of Facebook. Um, yes, Facebook, uh, for the first time ever, Sarah, we saw a decline in the number of U.S. users, a decline in users in any metric. has never happened at Facebook, as far as we know, uh, going back to their days as a private company that didn't report results. But, wow, uh, it's a tiny change, but it's a, it's a change of direction. And you know what else I think may have never happened before in history is having a company explain away that decline in engagement and user growth as something that they devised. Um, you know, they said that oh, no, no, engagement no, is down, um, you know, five percent because they designed it that way. No, and putting that, lipstick on a pig is as old as Wall Street itself. We've seen. <laughs> we've, well, we've but seen that in before. this case, in this case, Wall Street. Loves the explanation, and the stock is up at a record today. So, um, so to the be fair, been... to be fair, Sarah, should we? I mean, does the explanation make sense? It does. I mean, it does. Except, you know, I wrote this other story yesterday <laughs> before earnings came out that explained that uh, Facebook may be getting worried about its engagement. Anyway, without these newsfeed changes, uh, users told me that they're getting an increasing amount of alerts from Facebook to log in. Uh, some that look kind of desperate, like tricky, as if they have some sort of security alert they need to deal with. Uh, well, well, please quote from your story. Tell us exactly what, what they were seeing. Well, they were seeing an uh, email that comes frequently when they don't log in that says, uh, somebody may be trying to log in, to, or you seem to be having trouble logging into your account. Click here, and and we'll get you sorted. And you know that they're thinking that this is a problem. And and the fact you know that's Facebook a that's is, a that's a way to uh, the effect of that of a blast of emails to perhaps millions of users will be an increase in clicks on a certain day, and as a way for them to juice a quarter or a day or whatever. Right. MAUs are judged in the last 30 days of the quarter. And Facebook is is honestly just so unprecedented in their size that there really isn't a lot of growth left. I read in my story that um, you know the company has more than 2 billion users. There are only 3.6 billion internet users in the world right now. A lot of those are in China uh, that aren't on Facebook. So the rest of the people who aren't on Facebook has Facebook already tried to log them in and they're just not using it anymore? Is this is this really new territory that they can grab? Uh, I think the company is coming to a point in its size where this is just a law of large numbers. But those law of large numbers are pretty effective. Right. I mean, to be fair, they have several other properties that are at or past a billion users. Instagram uh, is getting close. And they have yet to really fully monetize those. And we don't know the Instagram numbers. They don't report those quarterly like they do the sort of parent company. But they're well, getting we know they're edging close to, to a billion. And we know that WhatsApp is now at 1.5 billion. Right, but I'd like to know that at the end of the quarter, every single quarter, like I do so many other numbers. I mean, it's really important 
the breakdown. What what Instagram revenues are as a percentage of the whole, and it's really important how the Instagram numbers are changing as a percentage of the whole, and they still don't disclose that. Right, and it could be, by some estimates, up to 10% of their revenue. So uh, I do think it's very important. Instagram people also want to know about video, whether their new initiatives are working out. On Messenger Instagram. is just starting to make money through ads in messaging, which is sort of a new market that Facebook is trying to say is, is being very successful. What, what's your favorite know. Instagram uh, account right now? <laughs> oh man. I mean I, I just I love Instagram stories. And here's another interesting thing that Zuckerberg said on the call. He thinks that stories, these um videos that people post that disappear after twenty four hours, those are gonna be the way that we share on social networks in the future, more so than stuff in a news feed. So that's actually a, a huge um, indicator by Facebook about how they see the news feed even possibly declining in importance to the overall health of the company. You know, Sarah, I was talking to our producer, Paul Brennan, before we got going, and I said, oh, isn't geez, really? it, isn't it kind of, no, well, what I thought was interesting is Facebook, along with some other, Twitter and, and Google, you know, have come under sharp criticism by lawmakers and others because of the way that they, you know, fake news gets spread around their sites. And so I feel like maybe Mark Zuckerberg is taking it to heart and saying, wait, we can do this better. I mean, maybe I'm being naive, but I, I don't know. I mean, will people, you know, will it be as appealing to users that like kind of Facebook is cleaning up its act a little bit? Well, that's the reason that Zuckerberg gave for why the the user time spent was down 50 minutes a day in the fourth quarter. They, he said it's because they're trying to show less viral stuff that just isn't that high quality. Uh, viral stuff, fake news, uh, that stuff is still rampant on Facebook. And as they deal with it, um, it, it's going to be difficult because ultimately Facebook is designed to hold our attention, mm -hmm. right? And And it's unclear how this new... Goal, this goal of having meaningful interactions on the site, of having right. time well spent, content that matters, that is not misleading or viral um, just for the sake of being viral, how that's going to be measured and how uh, yeah. investors are going to be able to look at the growth and say, yes, Facebook is doing a good, good job here. It's like, can there be a quality versus quantity well, financial so argument? I have the answer. Right. I have the answer from the financial results yesterday. They give you, you can figure out what their average revenue per user is. And if they're getting more revenue, even as the users are, are declining and even as the time spent on the site is declining, that means they're getting more of a more quality right. and less quantity. Well, Which we see that in the numbers. In the, the revenue per more users revenue. was was up 31% year over year. That's so that's impressive. That's impressive. It's a, it's a change in business model that's already working, even as we still talk about it. Sarah Fryer, love having you on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, whenever we see her smiling face or just hear it, you listen to Bloomer. Saturday night at the movie. Yeah, this next company hopes that you spend a lot of Saturday nights uh, at the movies. The luxury theater operator iPick Entertainment uh, going public. Um, let's find out a little bit more about the company and the business. Hamid Hashemi is founder and CEO at iPick Entertainment based in Boca Raton, Florida. He joins us from the NASDAQ in New York City. Hamid, tell us a little bit about uh, your business. Hi, Carol. Uh, pleasure meeting you. Um, you know, we have uh, brought the two most common forms of entertainment under one roof. 
You know, 78% of people traditionally go to a restaurant before or after going to the movies. And we build these destinations where you can go watch a movie, uh, dine while you're watching a movie, or before or after. We have branded restaurants that are attached to to our location. So it really is a one-stop, uh, nighttime entertainment destination. I thought Instagram was the most popular form of <laughs> entertainment. But uh, uh, So you guys have about, what, 16 theaters thus far, right? Um, yes. Uh, you lost. So right. I, I go to the movies uh, fairly a fair amount with my kids, and, uh, and we have a great time. And I spend vast fortunes buying popcorn and Twizzlers, red vines, yes. and uh, no soda in our house or in our movie theater experience, nonetheless. But you guys are losing money. You lost seventeen million dollars in the first six months of uh, 2017. Um, what's going to turn that around? It seems like the bigger your business goes, the more money you lose. Well, you know, this is a growth company. I mean, you can't judge this by, you know, what happened over, you know, over the last six months. I well, mean, I could. Mod- mod- I even, I mean, <laughs> well, yes, but, I mean, people that have invested in the company from our current shareholders, you know, we have uh, companies like Regal Cinemas, like uh, Village Roadshow, which is the largest exhibitor in, in Australia, or PVR Cinemas from uh, India. I mean, they're are believers in the concept. And like any business, when you start it out and when you start building, there is a GNA associated with a growth company that's uh, disproportionate to the size of it. And, you know, because it's not just 16 locations. We have four other locations that are under construction and other 16 sites that are uh, that are in development, uh, whether they're leased or they're in their letter of intent. So you're really looking at you know, you staff up, you build up your team in order to be execute to execute, open four locations a year. So that's. But just just know. to correct, you said GNA, but but you guys are losing money even before you get to the GNA expense, right? Just the cost of food and beverage, cost of theaters, occupancy expenses, uh, expenses and payroll. You're losing money before you even get to GNA and, and depreciation. Well, again, it, it is a uh, no unit level. At the unit level EBITDA, and we're positive. I think if you look at those same numbers, you're looking at EBITDA, which is after GNA. Uh, you know, before you get to all those numbers, we are positive cash flow. So I'm looking at uh, depreciation and amortization of in the first uh, six months of 2017 of uh, of 9.8 million dollars, and you lost 17 million dollars. So that's it's not just uh, GNA or, or depreciation and amortization. No, no, no. EBITDA is after GNA. Yeah. EBITDA is after GNA. Right. So the, the, the depreciation right. so amortization is not – the loss is greater than the, de- the depreciation and amortization, right? I, well, sorry. We're Correct. Gonna, we're, so, we're going well, deep into the weeds in the well, yeah, yeah. But, What uh, I want to ask you, Hamid, though, here you – you know, I'm looking at the stock today, um, and it's down about 7% here at the IPO. Also looking at your regulatory filings, and you guys are saying investing in your Class A common stock involves a high degree of risk. I know you say you're a growth company. Uh, you've got to be disappointed, though, about this uh, first day of trading. You know, this is a this is the first day of trading, and we're in it for the long haul. I mean, this is not something that we're going to look at it today or tomorrow. I mean, we're in it for the long haul. We have a long-term business growth plan, and you know, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, today, you know, when I spoke to my team, and said, you know what, we worked really hard to get here. This is a starting point of a new marathon in a public arena. You know, this is not the end game, and you know. Being able to, you know, offer our members, you know, we have 1.8 million members, you know, to be able to offer ownership to them, you know, it's, a, it's a valuable thing for us. And, you know, we're, we're a business that's built on membership. You know, we have, like I said, we have 1.8 million members, and 45% of our spend comes from our members. What does that mean when you're a member? 
Uh, well, as a member, you know, we have a lot of perks and benefits. You know, you, you know, you can walk into our theaters, but when you become a member, you have a reduced price Monday through Thursday, and then you start earning points. The more movies you go to, there's other perks and benefits that gets added to it. The, your point starts mul- multiplying. You know, we have, uh, and, and you get to, again, you go from, you know, from the gold to platinum, platinum elite. I mean, there's all levels of uh, membership, but what's really significant is that, you know, our members are frequent moviegoers. They go to a lot more movies than the general public does. And if you are going to go out for a night out, whether it's dining or a movie or a combination of the two, we are the destination of choice. Um, uh, and just finally, uh, uh, just about 30 seconds left here, but the reggae uh, seems like a, it let you go public faster. Why pick that uh, method? Just 30 seconds here. It really was, um, reggae allowed you to go and market to the general public, which is different than, you know, in a traditional S1 filing, you know, you're typically going through institutions that the stock really goes down to their, you know, to their elite customers. And under reggae, you know, the process is identical, frankly. I mean, from a regulatory standpoint, you're going through SEC, you're going through NASDAQ's requirements to get listed. But here, you know, you have the ability to market to your members, which is what we did. And that's a really big advantage for us. What better than having your guests being a shareholder in the company? Uh, Hamid, thank you so much. Uh, uh, congratulations on, your, on the big deal today. Uh, Hamid Hashemi, the CEO of IPIC Entertainment. Listen to Bloomberg Markets on Bloomberg Radio. I love that. Earth, Wind & Fire, David Foster, Bitcoin, why not? Where is the love for cryptocurrencies? Uh, big collapse in price today uh, uh, in, and, and, you know, if you're listening right now and you're thinking, yeah, 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 I keep hearing about volatility. Today's significant, I think. Uh, a big move uh, down for Bitcoin just from the beginning of trading today, down 12%. Ripple down 16%. Uh, some of the other ones down even more. Uh, joining us to help us uh, suss this out, uh, Dave Litka, uh, cross-asset reporter for Bloomberg News, uh, right here in our 1130 studios next to Carol and I, and uh, Camilo Russo, who also covers cryptos for us here. Uh, Camilo, why don't I start with you? What is the news today? Um, so the, the latest news is India's finance minister, Said that crypto is not a tender, and that they they will do they will take any measures necessary to eliminate illegal use of cryptocurrencies. So this sparked, you know, speculation that they might crack down on on the space. But this is just the latest in in a series of of negative news. This week, we had um, Facebook banning cryptocurrency ads. Uh, Tether and Bitfinex was subpoenaed. Um, then the SEC froze uh, 600 million ICO. So it's just one negative news after another, and that's causing yeah Bitcoin to slide to the sl- the lowest since November. It's now a little bit below 9,000 even. The European Union started to tighten laws about cryptocurrencies last year. We've had the Chinese central bank governor say Bitcoins aren't a matter matter for monetary policy in China, but for the police, we've seen pushback. You know, when Uber came out and some other new things come out, there's often pushback. David, is there something different about Bitcoin and kind of the pushback that's coming out? I don't think so. I think right now you're seeing it um, actually, um, this is the normal course of action you've probably seen in a new technology and something new, like as you mentioned on it. Um, is it. And should we liken it to a new technology or should we liken it to a new financial instrument? I think a little bit of both on it, and I think that's one of the big problems, both with regulators and with the markets. They still don't know what to how to view this on it. Um, there's a very solid technical argument about it, but you can make a very convincing case. There's also a huge asset bubble. Well, it, all right, so it could be three things, right? It could be 
uh, an asset bubble, to be sure. It could be a, a place for scoundrels uh, to to congregate and find new crummy things to sell the public. We see Check. that we see that in the <laughs> equity markets all the time. Um, and it could be a real technology that's going to change the world when it's real. And we could be looking at all that right now. We, and look. We wouldn't say sell all your equities. There's been an, uh, there's been a prosecution of securities fraud in India, right? And we wouldn't say, uh, hey, the world is going to be totally fixed by all the problems of because Oracle's got a new database to release. But but this might sit. The, these these headlines are all bubbling up as we're hearing about this. As a lot of people are hearing about this for the first time, and it seems like the market is trading baby and bathwater alike. But you, you see, I guess the markets. What's going on with the the comments from India? Um, or are very emblematic of of this market on it. It's not a huge um, area for cryptocurrencies, say like um, other parts of Asia, uh, the Koreas, or sorry, South Korea and Japan on it. But it's potentially a huge market on it. So sure. the people see the transformative value on that. So even though it may not be account for very much right now, it's part of the story that's been been being told about Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies for a while here. This is the future, and that's the future. Is there ultimately a way to regulate it and make it truly transparent so that there aren't problems? We had an interesting story in Business Week, I think it was last week or the week before, about what's going on in Nigeria and how people are really kind of banding together to check trades and sometimes act as kind of the middle person to make sure the buyer and seller are legit when it comes to digital currencies. Yeah, I think there's definitely a way to regulate at least the, the third parties dealing with cryptocurrencies, to regulate exchanges, to regulate uh, taxes around trading, um, banks dealing with, with transfers. I mean, all of the infrastructure that's getting built in, in the sector, and I think that's what's happening. And what I keep, the argument I keep hearing from bulls is, you know, like all these regulatory developments are you know, our short-term negatives and, and, and they they spark these knee-jerk reactions, right. but long-term, they'll they'll be a positive for the sector. Well, and I think even, even in the way that we're talking about it right now, we're putting them all together. We're, we're pretending like, you know, the, mm. the use cases are, are similar. I mean, I think that when you look at some of these initial coin offerings, these ICOs, some of them look just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And and yet when you look at companies like, well, even you know, let's say Ethereum versus Ripple, very different things. Ripple's got a, a almost sort of business model almost attached to it with Ripple Labs, which is the transfer of money from bank to bank or from payment to payment. Whereas Ethereum is, is really a, a, a notion of a currency that stores some information. Yeah, I think it's it's confusing when, when we talk about cryptocurrencies in general and we attach that name currency to it. But in, in reality, they are different technologies with different use cases each. So it's it's not like you can go ahead and buy a basket of these and expect that they'll do the so same if, thing. So if India announces they're going to build a wall... And we should just say, well, well they're, not all, they're not all the same. But is that the benefit of a digital currency, is that we can have different ones doing different yeah. things? Or is that the problems of digital currencies, that you can have so many different ones floating I think it's, out? it's confusing, but I think it's definitely a good thing. But you got to realize how big, uh, how many currencies there are yeah. out there now, over 1,500. And uh, there's going to be a watch out, obviously, on the And just from, from a practical standpoint um, with that, and as Corey mentioned, the, the fraudsters are going to be able to Take a uh, take the opportunity now to um, make some quick money off some people. Unfortunately, well, it's like the dot com era when you just put dot com after a name, yeah. right? And people were able to take advantage of investors just by doing that to mm -hmm. some extent. And it's partially investors' fault, and that's uh, people have to know that on it. I mean, greed's a overwhelming uh, uh, driver for a lot of people on it in this and, and, and this and everything else. Carol, yeah. go ahead. I want to ask as reporters, right? Because 
I've noticed, you know, that at Bloomberg, we're kind of ramping up our digital cover- coverage. And I feel like we've done that rather quickly because of the attention this year and the movements well, the that we've seen. Well, the questions readers and our users want. But what are you as reporters, yeah. like, how do you look at it? How do you, the people you talk to, do people feel like they have a good understanding of what's going on? Or is it really, even among smart people? Yeah. I mean, no, I think there's a huge, huge information gap um, where we're seeing, you know, like the the like usual analysts we talk to uh, at big banks maybe have less of a grasp of what's going on or of on how the technology works. And maybe, you know, like geeks behind the computer that, you know, maybe I would have never talked to for my, my previous mm-hmm. market coverage, but that now become re- relevant because they are a lot more plugged in. Um, and, and, and it's, it's hard to cover because there's just so much information and you really have to separate, like among these 1500, uh, currencies out there, like most of them are, are scams or, you know, are not worth our, our coverage. So it's like, it's, we really have to be, even as we're having this conversation and stuff's taking a tick down, uh, Bitcoin down 12% now, Ripple down to 17.5, Ethereum down nine. I think the other thing is really quick, Dave, just about 15 seconds, but there aren't many places trading these things. So there's not a lot of liquidity. That's true, and that's part of the problem on it. You've seen a it basically Wall Street can't really deal with this because of a lot of the uh, reporting constraints that they have. You've had a lot of offline online exchanges prop up. They're dealing with technical issues, reporting issues, and the fraud element on it. So it's really it's still the wild west. Buyer beware. That's all I'm going to say right now as we as we find our way through. David Litka, he's cross asset reporter at Bloomberg News. Camilla Russo, cryptocurrencies reporter and Markets Live blogger. Joining us right here on Bloomberg Radio. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. It is time for the drive to the close with us, Barry Bannister, head of institutional equity strategy at Stiefel. He is calling for 5% or more correction in the S&P 500 this quarter and sees a potential bear market in just over a year. He joins us on the phone from Baltimore, Maryland. Barry, so make the case for us, 5% or more correction this quarter. Yeah, we had been expecting a spike in the 10-year yield. The growth is excellent. The uh, inflation component of the yield was due to rise, and it did. Um, There's more complicated things, such as uh, what's called a term premium, uh, but that was due to rise, and it is. So, yeah, the spike in the 10-year kind of throws a wrench into people's valuation models because you need to be compensated in equity earnings uh, yield earnings divided by price, which is currently around five four five point four percent, you got to be compensated above what Treasuries offer, and Treasuries are offering close to two eight now and headed higher. So that uh, that brings the market down, and there's some other factors, such as. Well, the main thing is the central banks. I mean, we're operating essentially Depression-era monetary policy and severely repressed yields around the world, and yet things are getting better fast. So uh, as the expectation that the central banks take away the punch bowl starts to build, uh, investors become leery. Okay. 
And then fundamentally, when you look at the market, when you look at corporations, publicly held companies in terms of top and bottom lines, their business outlooks, the economic environment, the business environment, how does that look to you? Yeah, essentially what happened was we had legislated profits, tax cuts, and that's a high certainty uh, variable. So that uh, began to crystallize in the market's view after the summer recess for Congress last year. And as a consequence of those legislated profits, where we realized a tax cut was coming, uh, we got a huge bump in earnings estimates. Uh, so you get the earnings first and the yields later, and the market always fills a vacuum. And so what the market did since last summer is rushed in to fill the vacuum with a higher price because the earnings are now, and the cost of, the, of those earnings, the discount rate for the future of the bond yield, was later. Now the bond yields start to catch up, and people realize the policy is inappropriate for this level of growth, and the market shows signs of topping out. Well, uh, catching up you know, in the U.S., but in Europe, uh, it's not over yet. No. In fact, uh, you have rec- record net speculative longs for the euro, meaning people are betting that the euro strengthens significantly. And, you know, that's going to really upset the ECB's uh, hope for uh, exit from accommodative policy if their currency spikes too much and they're and they have deflation. You know, a strong currency means your currency buys more things, which means the price of things falls. And that's the definition of deflation. So the risk is strong currency in Europe. Uh, sharp drop in price level, Mario Draghi's grand plans at the European Central Bank upset. Um, they can't maintain these severely repressed yields forever. It's positively insane. You have yields on European junk bonds, Italian bonds, Portuguese bonds yielding less than the U.S. Treasury. What about the also new supply I'm thinking about coming into the U.S. Uh, market, certainly with rising deficits um, in that we're going to see, we talked about a little bit earlier on our broadcast about, you know, more issuance and so on and so forth. What does that do, though, kind Lots, of to I the... I mean, boatloads of issuance. Yeah. What does that do to the yield oh, environment? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I was uh, I was listening to uh, your very own uh, Tom Keene talking about that with Bill Gross last night, and uh, yeah, we've got. I'm kidding, kidding. We love them both. Uh, but anywho, uh, yeah, I mean, we were just talking about massive, massive issuance. Uh, you know, deficits uh, going up, and of course, if you want the world to what's called rebalance, in other words, the Chinese to use more of their own savings and spend less of their reliance on uh, exports to the U.S. that buy that they can then turn around and would buy U.S. treasuries with. If you want the world to rebalance, then who's going to be the buyer uh, at these low yields? And so there's a little bit of that as well. You're right. Uh, there's a real issue with new issuance. So you see yields higher, stocks topping out this year. Yeah, I think, I mean, just to be precise, since they expect that of me, I think that we get our 5% correction in Q1. Uh, The next two pivotal events are the Fed's testimony in Congress uh, by the new chairman. I believe that's in February. I haven't seen it on the calendar, but it's every February, according to Humphrey Hawkins. And then uh, the March press conference. I'm going to be watching very carefully, like everyone else, for what Mr. Powell says. Then the ECB has a February meeting as well. We have to listen to what they have to say. Um, So it's a lot of monetary policy in the next uh, six, seven weeks. Uh, Those are the key events now. So we drop 
then I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see a bit of a rebound. The earnings look solid. Uh, the price will set up at a better value point. The curve will steepen initially, but I don't expect it to last that long. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll rebound into the summer until earnings momentum shows signs of peaking late year. Wait, the I growth wanna, rate of year to year. I want to back you all the way up to the, the correction you, you're seeing here. 5% correction where? In the S&P 500. You expect that so, in the first uh, half of this year. Wow. Well, first quarter, First quarter, actually. actually. Um, yeah. I was giving you some wiggle yeah. room. I love, I love your expertise, your, 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 your uh, well, call there. Typically, earnings do matter, but also the discount rate on earnings, right? So if you look at where the earnings estimates on a year-on-year comparison basis are, they don't look like they're going to peak until the fourth quarter. So it's a little soon to be you know, calling a bear market, which we're not. Uh, we just got ahead of ourselves on a speculative run. As I said earlier, we filled that gap between earnings now, yields later. So therefore, the market filled the gap with a parabolic price increase. Now it's leeriness about yields. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we digest that, we can get a bounce back. Barry Bannister, thank you so much. Head of Institutional Equity Strategy at Stiefel on the phone from Baltimore, Maryland, calling for a 5% correction in the first quarter of this year. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I feel the earth move under my feet. You move like they do. I've never seen anyone move that fast. All right, people, let's move like we've got a purpose. Something's called movers and shakers. They cost a little more, but that name cracked me up. Bloomberg Markets, Movers and Shakers, with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. All right, everybody, it's time for your winners and losers on this Thursday afternoon. S&P 500, 207 names higher, 296 lower, two unchanged. Lots of earnings crossing as we speak. And I know Corey's going to get to Amazon, but I'm going to just mention Alphabet uh, coming out to fourth quarter EPS of $9.70 a share. That's a miss, at least at first glance. The estimate that was out there was $10.04. Fourth quarter paid clip. Clicks, excuse me, of course, a key metric when we're looking at uh, Alphabet up 43%. Fourth quarter, Google, other revenue, $4.69 billion. Quick check on Google in the after hours. Stock are right now down about 1.5%, Corey. Uh, so I'm, I'm rapidly punching my microphone on while I'm tapping into my calculator here looking at Amazon. So Amazon uh, revenues beat uh, estimates. Uh, for me, the most important number is cash flow, uh, cash flow from operations. Again, this isn't a business that's trying to make a profit. It did have a profit, a profit of $1.9 billion in the quarter, uh, but uh, 7% increase in cash flow from operations. Of course, the company plows it all right back into building more stuff. Uh, so uh, a good uh, growth there on a year-over-year basis. Um, 3% operating profit margins overall. But if I look at this, so so their operating profit margin of uh, $1.9 billion, uh, or so their, their netting of $1.9 billion, of that $1.4 billion came from their Amazon Web Services business. Amazon Web Services is doing $5 billion in the 13 weeks of the quarter. Uh, really impressive. So as I calculate their uh, operating margins there, again, remember the whole business had a 3% operating margin, which was very strong uh, as far as Amazon goes. They usually like to show as, as little of a profit as possible. And of course, little ta- taxes therefore. 26% operating margins for Amazon Web Services. So think about that, the two businesses running so differently. 26, uh, 26.4%, an actual increase in operating margin, even uh, both sequentially and over last year, for the Amazon Web Services business, 
but operating margins for the whole company, 3%, also uh, bigger than last year. All right. Shares of Amazon, they're up 3.6% in the after hours. We mentioned Google also coming out. That stock's down uh, almost 5%, 5% right now as we speak in the after hours following uh, their release of their latest earnings. And again, some of the major headlines off of uh, Alphabet. Fourth quarter EPS, as we mentioned, it's a miss by 34 cents. Fourth quarter EPS X, the tax effect, though. Uh, yep, that's with uh, taking into effect uh, the impact of the taxes and the tax overhaul. $9.70 a share. Wall Street was looking for $0.34 cents more than that. So that's a miss. Fourth quarter paid clicks again up 43%, uh, waiting for some more headlines to cross. But Google shares uh, down, down about 6.4%. And uh, as I mentioned, Corey working through Amazon, that stock's up about 2.9%. We're awaiting uh, Apple's results. So we'll wait for those numbers and to those, cross the, as well. Apple might not get to us for 15 or, or yeah. minutes or 30 minutes. We'll see what happens there. Uh, they've reported at different times over the hours, yep. over the years, mm-hmm. over the hour, over the years. Uh, but uh, I, I do want to mention some of the other stocks that moved today, not just as those things that are breaking right now. Um, and I think it's really worth noting um, that uh, Meredith shares were way down today. So Meredith uh, Corporation trading on 14%. On the day they close both the bi- acquisition of Time Inc. and they pull the name Time Inc. off the buildings. So after 95 years as one of the most important media companies, a company that defined the last century as the American century, literally defined yeah. it, came up with a phrase, uh, disappears as of today. But so does a, a big chunk of Meredith with the stock selling off after reporting a quarter where sales were down 6% uh, on a year-over-year basis. Stock down 14% today, a big decline for the Des Moines-based Des Moines, Iowa-based De- Des Moines, yeah. maker of magazines. I, I got to tell you, a lot of tears uh, being shed uh, at Time Inc. headquarters here in New York City. All right, let's also mention. Worked. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not crying, but right. I ain't happy. So Google shares down about five percent in the after hours following earnings. Amazon shares up about two and a quarter percent following their latest earnings after the close. Amgen, Charlie Pellet was breaking down the numbers. That stock's down about three point two percent in the after hours. Also out with its latest quarterly update. Amazon fourth quarter adjusted EPS two eighty nine a share. That's a miss, folks, of uh, fourteen cents. The company though setting a ten billion dollar buyback, uh, and also. So talking a little bit about 2018 revenue of $21.8 billion to $22.8 billion. Uh, the forecast out there was a little bit higher, $22.9 billion. So it looks like they're reining in uh, that uh, forecast as well. So uh, as Corey mentioned, uh, Apple will be reporting shortly. We'll bring you those numbers as soon as they cross the Bloomberg. Quick check, though, already across the Bloomberg. The volatility index report for this Thursday down 1.3%. The VIX closing at 13.36. This is Bloomberg Radio. All right, Dave, you're up. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Dave. Wilson, where are you? Wilson! Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? We're going for the price on Wilson. Open up the door, it's Dave! Who? Dave! Hey, Mr. Wilson! Dave Wilson joins us right now with his stock of the day. And that would be Simpris, Corey. The company in its Vistaprint unit had a January to forget the provider of business cards. Vistaprint. Oh, Brochures short name of mine. Go ahead, yeah, and promotional items was sued by a gay couple after an order went awry. The couple asked for 100 copies of the program for their wedding in Pennsylvania, and instead they received 80 copies of a pamphlet about Satan's temptation. Now, Simpris and Vistaprint executives apologized publicly for the incident, yet the shares of Simpris, ticker CMPR, we're unscathed. They rose last month by 6.3%, and that followed a six-year winning streak in which the price almost quadrupled. 
Today, Simpris rose to a record in response to fiscal second quarter results. Earnings beat analyst average estimate in the Bloomberg survey for the first time in seven quarters. Revenue topped the highest projection. Investaprint sales rose about 12.5%. That was three percentage points more than Barrington Research was expecting. Data compiled by Bloomberg shows Barrington is the only one of three firms covering Simpris to have a buy rating on the stock. And that call was on target today. Simpris climbed 20%. Biggest gain in three and a half years. Dave Ticker? Wilson. Sorry. CMPR. All right, Dave Wilson, thank you so much. A few more headlines involving Alphabet naming John L. Hennessy chairman of the company. And uh, Alphabet also saying it's going to buy back shares up to an additional $8.59 billion of Class C stock. Shares of Google down 4%. Also, the amount Google charges for clicks on ads, it is falling our Live blog tracking those Google earnings. We'll have more in just a moment. This and is Bloomberg and Radio. And the John Hennessy News may be known because uh, Eric Schmidt had already stepped down there as well, but great stuff. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 o'clock Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. And follow us on Twitter. She's at Carol Masser, and I'm at Corey TV.